open your word and you're going to speak into us. I pray that you'll continue that work of confidence of our faith in you and our, our relationship with you. We're so thankful for the work that you do, bringing us to salvation and then planting your Holy Spirit in us in order for us to be able to live out our sanctification. We're so, it's such a pleasure to gather together and to have a family like this that we can come together to encourage each other and to love on one another and provoke each other, as your word says, to love and good works. And that's what we're gonna work on today. So I pray that you'll strengthen us in our work today. That as we open our hearts and we submit our, our will and our, our desires to you and to your word and to your spirit, would you fill us and change us and strengthen us for the task that you've put before us. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat and let's grab our Bibles and jump right in. So are you guys okay so far on this series that we're in? And um, this three-part, we're, we're kind of closing this three-part sermon on sin and salvation. Um, had one conversation with a brother just this morning saying, you're killing me, Phil. You ever watch Sandlot? You know, and the kid goes, you're killing me, Smalls. That's what it reminded me of whenever he, <laughs> he said that. He says, you know, this whole thing about this three-step anger, hatred, murder thing makes me nervous. I'm right on the edge of murder. And I said, well, that's where we're all at, right? That's what we're working on. The whole point is that we're working on giving ourselves more and more to the work of the word and the work of the spirit in our lives because God knows what you're like. He knows who you are. He knows how you're made. He knows your weaknesses. And he certainly knows mine. And it makes me so happy that we have a God who is long-suffering and patient and does not give us what we deserve. Um, so we're going to jump right into this. We're talking about the identifiers or the identifying marks of a legitimate child of God that prove that we are a legitimate child of God. Prove to not only those that are around us and watching and observing our lives, but prove to our own hearts that we are legitimate children of God. Things like we love more deeply and we obey faithfully, and we live authentically, and we know Jesus completely. And this is all something that we do we, on, a, on a progressive basis where we get closer and closer, we go deeper and deeper with him, which is evidence of our salvation, and the ultimate result of that is that we believe confidently it speaks to our heart to tell us we are the children of God. And we've been working so far um, in this three-part sermon. The first point we took on this was a legitimate child of God continues in righteousness. We saw that in the first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 3, that because of the love that the Father has lavished on us through the work of his Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and by the power at work in us in the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, we 
Hear me now, we no longer continue in sin. We no longer make a practice of sin. We no longer live in sin anymore. That's our old ways. Now we're alive in Christ and we continue in righteousness. I'm gonna say again, like I have been saying, I know you're not dense and don't need to be reminded, but I think I need to say it over and over as much as I can, that not perfectly. Some people get hung up on this part of the scriptures. Because they keep hearing John say, how can you sin and call yourself a son of God or just call yourself a daughter of God? He's not talking about never sinning again. He's talking about a lifestyle change. That those of us who are in Christ no longer continue in sin and make a practice of sinning. Doesn't mean we don't sin, we do. But what something's different when we do. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And he won't let us alone. And so we will continue in righteousness, confess our sin, find forgiveness, and move on. That's what true, legitimate children of God do. Here's the next identifying mark that we started last week. We're going to finish this week, and I'm going to finish the sermon. (laughs) I'm committed to it. I don't care how long you have to sit here. I'm going to finish the sermon. Here's the second one. A legitimate child of God does not hate. And you might ask, well, why is that, Phil? And that's because legitimate children of God are lovers, not haters. We're lovers. Everybody say that. We're lovers. We're lovers. We're not haters. That's why we do not hate. Look at verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, he's not simply talking about from the beginning, um, back in Leviticus days, back in the giving of the Ten Commandments, back in those days where it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's referring to when Jesus began his ministry with his followers, and he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you must love one another. Something's going to be different in your love now because you're going to be in me. And that's what he's talking about. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil will be found in what we do with our hatred. Does that make sense? Because it's not a mystery, right, that we all have the propensity and capacity to hate. Do you agree? good because it's true I mean seriously let the right amount of disappointment enter your life let the right amount of mistreatment enter into your life let the right amount of injustice enter into your life and that disappointment will turn to anger And if not kept in check, and if we didn't have the protection and help of the Holy Spirit of God, that anger would turn to bitterness, and that bitterness would turn to rage, and that rage will turn into hatred. And the end of all of that progression is murder. And we're a different kind of people because Jesus said, in my kingdom, hatred and murder are the same. In the way that I see them, they're the same. If you hate your brother, you're just as bad as murdering him. The true mark of a legitimate Christian is that there's no hate. And that in and of itself is why true legitimate children of God shine so brightly in our world today. Because our world is full of hatred. 
And here we stand. In the middle of all of it, in the middle of all the stuff that's going on in our world, we stand and are being told by John, we stand with love in our hearts. And we're actually called to love those in the world who are hating, hating each other, hating the things that are good. But more than that, not just love and go and we're called to the haters, we're called to those whose hate is turned on us and will continually grow hotter towards us as we get closer to the end. These are the people that we are called to. And as we touched on it, we just started to touch on it last week. John says, look at verse 13, that our response to this reality that the world hates us is going to continue in that hate towards us and draw more hateful towards us is that we're not supposed to be surprised when the world hates us. And he explained it, and I'm not gonna go back into it all, but he explained it. He said, because like Cain against Abel, their actions, Cain's actions were only evil continually, and his brother Abel was righteous. And because his was righteous and his brother's was evil, Cain hated Abel for that. And the world will hate you and I for that also as we continue in righteousness. That's what they do because that is who they are and that is what they do because of who they are and what's in their hearts. And so don't be surprised, Phil. Stop being surprised, Phil. (laughs) Stop freaking out, Phil. Stop yelling at the television whenever you see the news. Stop yelling at the paper when you read the paper. Stop being upset with what you see out there. John says, hey, people, God, Don't be surprised that this is happening. This is what you would be without the work of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Father inside of you. You know, it's like, some of us are like, you know, if we just just pray for our nation more. You know, if I could just get every Christian, if we could get every Christian to pray and fast for the nation, then they'll all turn to God and love us. True or false? Well, you're Debbie Downers. Come on. You know, some are like, you know that cranky neighbor that you have? No one wants to admit it. Guys are grabbing the hands of their wives and saying, don't, don't nod your head, don't nod your head. You know, if we just kill them with kindness, right? If we just kill them with love. If we just pour the love, a sugar-sweet love on our neighbor, he'll turn and he'll change and he'll start loving me. Right? How's that going for you? Um, How about this one? If I just love my unsaved spouse perfectly, then I'll win him over. And he'll love me like he's supposed to love me. If I just pour on the love in my workplace or if I just pour on the love in my family, hey, we've got a great opportunity coming up. Thursday, Thanksgiving, weird Uncle Harold is coming to dinner. (laughs) 
If I just pour the love, he hates me and he hates the rest of the family, but if I just pour on the love, he'll love us, he'll change, right? If I just pour on the love in my workplace, if I just pour on the love in my community, if I just pour on the love in my nation, then I will be loved in return. It's a guarantee. You won't be able to resist. True or false? False. And man, doesn't your heart want to say true? Doesn't your heart want to say, of course they'll love you. Who can resist sacrificial love? Well, John's message is that just like Cain hated Abel out of the jealousy that was in his heart because Abel was continuing in righteousness, the world will hate us because we continue in righteousness, just because we're continuing in righteousness. In in fact, what this means is the more you try to love them righteously, the more they will hate you for it because it shines the light on their wickedness of their hearts, and they don't want that. In fact, they will not love you until they get the love of the Father in them. They're incapable of loving the way God loves until they get the love of the Father in them. So were you and I. Before we came to Jesus and had a testimony like what we heard in the baptistry today, you were incapable of loving like Jesus loved, like God loves the world, you're incapable of that. It's impossible for you to do that. In fact, any love you show before you're in Christ is selfishly motivated love. It is only God's love that is self-sacrificing, which is why we are to love the world through the hate and share the love of Jesus that we have inside of us and have experienced all the while praying that the Holy Spirit will break through their deceived and darkened minds and their stopped ears, that that we pray that that the Holy Spirit will rip the earmuffs off, the satanic earmuffs that have been holding their ears closed and their eyes blind to the truth. And when we take the love of Jesus to them, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that can be activated in their life to bring them to salvation. Look at verse 14 of 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. That's how we know, because the hate is gone. Anyone who does not love remains in death. In fact, the best test of your salvation and mine is our love for God, our love for his church and the world because you can't fake it. And if you're not growing in this, John says, if you're not moving in a more loving direction than you used to be, if you're not more tender-hearted and forgiving than you used to be, if you're not more patient and kind than you were when you first met Christ, then you've got a problem in your life. Not talking perfectly, remember? nod your head. We're not talking perfectly, but progressively. If you're not seeing this growth and fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you're Cain and not able. That's the message. Love is how we know that we have passed from death to life. In fact, love is the supreme characteristic of born-again believers. And a paraphrase of verse 15 goes like this. If you're out there murdering people, hating everyone and everything, then you're not a child of God and you will not inherit the eternal life. It's a matter of fact. Now, let me ask you as we go a little deeper here, what's at the root of a heart 
that has so much hate that would lead it to murder? What do you think is at the root of that? And you might say, well, the circumstance. It might be the circumstance. Somebody was hurt to the point where they were angry, to the point where they were hateful and want to murder someone. That definitely can be true. But I would like to tell you biblically what is at the root of a heart that would eventually murder someone is what's called selfishness. You see it in the Cain and Abel story that we read last week where Cain says, I want what you have because I don't have it. And if I can't have it, you can't have it. And the way you can't have it is I'm going to kill you because I don't have what you have. And it was jealousy. And you might be like, well, Phil, that's just like ancient news, you know. I mean, this is the beginning of time, the beginning of humanity. I mean, for heaven's sakes, humans have evolved much greater than what we were back then. I mean, that was thousands of years ago. We're totally different people now in total control of our emotions, in total control of our selfishness, right? (laughs) You guys crack me up. James, uh, can I read you something that was written only 2,000 years ago? James chapter four. I'm gonna have it on the screen for you. James chapter four, verse one and two. Watch this. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Now, here's what's interesting. Don't get all pious and everything, okay? Because what he's, this is being written to church people. This is being written to believers. And he's asking the question, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Uh Uh-oh. Here it is. Cain and Abel, right here, black and white, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and what? What? Knock it off. When was the last time you killed somebody? You scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Wow. Here's the message You hearing? You listening? You still with me? Here's the message. This is not the way of the believer. This is not the way of those continuing in righteousness. You and I are something opposite of this. Selfishness does not drive us any longer as we're children of God. At least it's not supposed to. Instead, point number three. Watch, look, we're progressing. I'm getting into the next point. Point number three, a legitimate child of God is not selfish, but we are self-sacrificing. And on the subject of what love looks like, John writes this in verse John 3, 16. You wanna know something that's really cool? You know, this is the same John that wrote the gospel of John. Anybody know the, what John three sixteen says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not die without, in, in their sin, but have eternal life, okay? Now look at what 1 John three sixteen says. This is how we know what love is. That love that we were talking about, the love that Jesus was t- talking about in John three sixteen. this is what we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You want to know what love is? And if you have it, do you want to know what love looks like? Do you want to know what love feels like? You want to know what love does? This is how we know. Look to Jesus. That's what John is saying to us. Jesus is the gold standard for love. I read this this week. I want to share it with you on this subject. This author wrote, when we say to love like Jesus, we don't mean his tone, though his tone was tender. We don't mean his manner, though his manner was meek. And we don't mean his gestures, though his gestures were gentle. What we mean are his actions, and his actions were loving. So like Jesus, my friends, we choose it. That's in your notes there. You can write that down. We choose it. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If you notice, John says he laid down his life. No one took his life from him. And you're like, uh-uh, Phil, that's not true. You can read it in the Bible. The Romans and the Jews killed Jesus. They hung him on a cross. They crucified him on a cross. And I would say, yes, they did. But I want you to look at what Jesus said in John 10, 18. I'll have it on the screen for you. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Did you see that? Sure. The Romans and the Jews killed Jesus. They raised his body on the cross, but make no mistake, it was out of his glorious love for us that the author of life self-sacrificed. He sacrificed his life willingly so that you and I and every other sinner can live. And it was self-sacrificing love that motivated him to do so. And don't miss it. He chose to do it. He chose to lay down his life for me and for you. Are you hearing me now? He chose to lay down his life for those who hated him. He had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Hatred took his life, and in the taking, his life made a way for everyone to have eternal life. Amen. He chose it and gave himself as a sacrificial offering for the salvation of all mankind. <laughs> hear me now, hear me now. This is what you and I are called to. That's what John is telling us. And you're like, hang on, I'm not Jesus. You're exactly right. We all know that. And God does too. And yet he calls weak, broken people like us. Let me put it this way. He calls very selfish people like us. Very self-centered people. Steve, I see you sitting out there smiling. Very king me type of people, right? Put me on the throne of my life, every day of my life kind of people. That's what we are. That's what we wrestle against. And he's calling us to the same self-sacrificing love that Jesus showed us on the cross when he gave his life for us. Hmm. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So question, are you a person of love? You're like, yes. Well, then you're self-sacrificing, right? You're laying down your life, right? You're choosing to lay aside your rights, right? Right? How did that go this morning on your way to church? How did it go last night? Um, no longer demanding our way, right? <laughs> Sacrificially giving of ourselves to meet the needs of all those around us, no matter what the cost, right? If you say you're a loving Christian and a child of God, this is what we're supposed to be doing and at least growing in this. I mean, here it is. If you, if you say you love your wife, then you're laying down your life for her. Man, you guys, I just set you up. That would have been such a moment for you to say, amen, brother, and your wife go, oh. <laughs> if you say you love your children, that means you're, you're laying down your life for them. If you, if you say you love the church of Jesus Christ, well, then it means that you're laying down your life you're choosing it for the body of Christ. If you say you love the lost and you're a legitimate child of God, well then you're laying down your life for them. You're not hating them for hating you. You will lay down your life and I will lay down my life to get the love of Christ to them. You'll lay in a hammock underneath the lightning strike out in Africa, in the fields of Africa, to take the gospel to people who need to hear. You will lay down your life and risk your life because that's what children of God do in order to get the message of the gospel out. We choose it. I might not want to. In fact, most of the time, I don't want to. It's a choice that I have to make. I certainly don't feel like it, but I don't do what is right because I feel like it. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Please say it louder. <laughs> because if we only did what we felt like doing, we wouldn't get much done. Actually, yes, we would, and it would all be self-serving. I don't do it because I feel like it. I do it because I choose it, and I choose it because I'm like Jesus, and Jesus chose it. I choose it out of my own free will to sacrificially lay down my life to love everyone, that's what John is saying to us. And because of that, we are legitimate children of God because legitimate children of God are self-sacrificing. And just like Jesus, we choose it, but also, here's your notes, just like Jesus, we do it. Listen to me, is it true that it's one thing to say you're sacrificing, but the proof is in the doing, not in the saying? Look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and let me just stop right here, okay, and just put a pause. Just, we're gonna keep going in the verse. You and I are not accountable to meet all the needs of the world. That's overwhelming. We cannot do it. However, we are totally responsible for the needs that we can see and that God puts right in front of our faces. We do what we can do for the needs that we are aware of. So anyone, if anyone has material possessions 
In fact, you've got stuff that God gives you and sees your brother or sister in need, get this now, but has no pity on them. In other words, meet the need. How can the love of God be in that person? You gonna let me in right now? I'm gonna meddle here, okay? I'm gonna dig in a little bit now. If you and I have the means to help and we see the need, what excuse would be appropriate for you as a child of God to walk past that person and not meet that need? That's what John's saying here. What does this say about the condition of your heart? I don't need to instruct you, um, you men. I, I don't need to instruct you on the biblical and practical responsibility to care for your family and to take care of your family. We all know that you're worse than an unbeliever if you don't take care of the needs of your family. That's just what the Bible says. And your own heart tells you that. And I don't need to remind you and, and lecture you on the fact that the world needs us and we're supposed to go out and sacrifice ourselves to meet the world and, and love the world in that way. We talk about that all the time and we will continue to talk about that until Jesus returns. But what's interesting, right here, um, even in the middle of John telling us, the context is we're supposed to love everyone, but John zeroes in on the family of God. John's emphasizing meeting the needs of the body of Christ. And what he's saying is, if you're a legitimate child of God, all the legitimate children of God will sacrificially meet the needs of the brothers and sisters with what God has blessed them with. And when they see the need before them, they will meet the need. In fact, Galatians 6.10, I'm gonna have it on the screen, says, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. There it is, that's everybody in the world, but especially to those in the family of faith. Though I must love and do good to everyone, I have a responsibility to you that goes beyond anyone I might meet on the street. I just gotta tell a story, okay? Can I just tell a story? It happened this week. So I'm talking to a brother here in our church. I'm talking to a brother, and I'm, I'm talking about... Um, just what, what are we doing this weekend and are we gonna go hunting or aren't we gonna go hunting and you know, those kinds of spiritual conversations that we were having. And um, I asked him if he was gonna go hunting on Saturday. He goes, well, I'm actually working with a group of men from River Oaks because there's a program that they have that they go out and they build ramps for people, you know, for the wheelchairs and stuff like that. So we're gonna go spend about four hours doing that for some, somebody in the church and we're gonna take care of that. And I said, that is so cool. In fact, and I said, you know what? I really want to develop more of that with our church. I really want to develop some of these things where we meet each other's needs. And I said, in fact, there's a brother in our church who um, he's 78 years old and Robin finds out that he needs to put a chimney cap on his chimney. And I said, but, and she was calling the body people in our church. We have the FBC, the body people that want to like, they, they, they know how to work with their hands and they want to take care of people. And she called them and he's got a need and we're trying to figure out how to get the need met and take care of all that. We just need, I think we need a stronger, more robust program for those kinds of things. You know what I found out? I found out a couple of days later that the guy I was talking to, his daughter is connected to FBC, the body ministry, 
And she calls up and she goes, which is what daughters do. And calls up and says, dad, there's a need. This guy needs to have his chimney cap put on. Let's go. And so not only did this brother go and take care of a wheelchair ramp for someone in need, but he also went over, got on the roof of this brother in our church and took care of the need of putting the chimney cap on for him. Now you may be like, well, that's a big deal of that. The dude is 78 years old. That's what the big deal is. If you're 78, don't get on your roof. Get somebody else to do it. This is what we're talking about here. If you see the need and you have the means to take care of it, legitimate children of God say, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be the one. It's as simple as that. See, John asked the question, what does it say about you if, as the ESV puts it, you see the need and close your heart to your brother? The conclusion is, you don't know Jesus. Now, that's harsh, but that's what he says. How can you say you have God's love in you? If you can see that your brother's in need and you have the means to provide, to, to take care of the need, and you don't do it, and you close your heart to the need, there's something seriously wrong inside of you because that's not how legitimate children of God live and love. You okay? You got one more in you? All right, let's go for it because this one's pretty cool. So here's the fourth identifying mark. A legitimate child of God speaks the truth. Look at verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love in actions, we've been talking about that, okay? We've already seen that, but here it is now. We love in truth. Jot this down somewhere. Real love, real love speaks truth. If you want to sacrificially love, you're going to speak truth. There's no such thing as genuine biblical love that is not rooted in biblical truth. Let that sink in for a minute. Let me say it this way. The most loving thing I can do for you as your pastor is to tell you the truth about your heart and to tell you the truth about your life and to tell you the truth about how you are supposed to live or maybe the way that you're not living the way you're supposed to be living in the world in which you live. Did I just mess you up with that? It is not a loving thing. You know, some people are like, oh, I can't. I don't want to ruffle their feathers. I don't want to like, get into their life, and I don't want to mess up our relationship. You know, To say that they're heading down a, a path that's going to lead them off a cliff, because I know that, because I've been there, and I know what that cliff looks like, and I almost fell off myself. But I'm not going to tell them that they're on their way there, because it might screw up our relationship. That is not a loving thing. How grateful am I, oh my Lord, how, how grateful am I that I have not been called to some fuzzy, woke, unicorn, sugar plum, fairy church culture 
where every time I wanna speak the truth of God's word like I'm speaking right now, the hard things that we wrestle with because our spirit wrestles against those things that I don't get slammed upside the head with, that wasn't nice, that wasn't kind, that wasn't loving, because I'd be turning around saying, well, you're not kind and you're not loving. How can you say that? I'm the one rebuking you for saying the unloving thing. And I would say, no, you're wrong. You got it all wrong. You got it all screwed up and backwards. You're not the loving person. The loving person will... (laughs) Calm down, Phil. My word. See, I'm growing in this, you guys. I have to grow because it's not just about truth. It's about speaking the truth Come on, speaking the truth in love. It's the way we say it. Now, I, I, what I want to say to you is what I say to Robin all the time. You know, I might be upset with something at work, you know, and I come home and I just go off. And she's like, Phil. I'm like, what? She goes, you can't talk like that. If you, you can't treat your people like that. I'm like, babe, it's just you and me here. <laughs> no, I'm, no I, I'm not, I don't go off like I am. <laughs> Which maybe you should stop going off. <laughs> okay, you're right. But here... So sometimes I just go off on you, okay? And I'm working on that. Because I need, to, I need to lead the way. I need to shepherd you in a way that you can follow my example of what it means to lovingly speak the truth. And so we, I may get all amped up here about the subject, but with God's help, when I'm dealing with somebody and they're heading off the cliff, I don't reach over, grab them by the throat and shake them, you know, and drive the truth into them. I'm over there in front of them saying, listen, 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 because I love you, you're going the wrong way. There's pain down the road. There's destruction down the road. You're going to die. And because I love you, I'm here to tell you, and I know, I know you don't want to hear this, but because I love you, I've got to tell you. I love you for this, because it's like, you, you guys are like, bring it, Phil. We, we need this, and I love you for that. Look at, verse, look at Ephesians 4.15. Because we love in action and in truth. Look at, look at what happens Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Do you see that? Growth happens when we lovingly tell people the truth. So the lesson is, we are to love not just with words, but with deeds. But not just with deeds, in truth. That's the lesson here. Not just flattering someone with our words and doing nice things for them so that they'll like us. It also includes telling them the truth. Telling somebody what they not necessarily want to hear. And sometimes we avoid that because we want them to like us. And so we're not gonna tell them that thing because we want them to like us. Well, what what is driving that? That's called selfishness. It's not self-sacrificing. It's not just giving my family warm fuzzies and avoiding the hard conversations or sweeping those hard conversations under the family rug. As painful as they are to face, real love throws the rug back, 
calls a family meeting, and we all sit around in a circle and say, and dad says, everybody listen, look at the dirt. Look at it, it's real. We've swept it under there for the last 20 years, no more. We're gonna work on it right now. And you lovingly take the word of God and apply the truth of God's word to those things, all those specks of dust and dirt and crap that you've like covered up. It's not a loving thing to just keep covering it and covering it and covering it and never dealing with it. Not harshly, because we speak the truth in love, so we don't do it harshly, but with loving kindness and gentleness, not coldly or with a mean spirit, but with the spirit and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But I wanna say this again, there's no such thing as biblical love that is not first and foremost rooted in biblical truth. It doesn't exist. I remember when I was 24 years old, I was a punk, I really was. I was so full of myself and I was coming up into ministry and I was in a, I was in a internship program and I was going to be the greatest pastor of all time. And I knew it. I just needed everybody else to find out. And I remember I was, we, I signed up for the musical that they had in the church, you know, and, and I tried out for the part of John and the John was the main character in this passion thing that we were doing. And of course it had some great big tenor solos and, and I was like, <laughs> I, sh- I should just stop right now. And not tell you. I was so full of myself that I was like, well, I'm the only one that can do this part. I had heard everybody else sing. I had watched everybody else. And I'm the only one who can do it, so I'm going to try out, and I feel bad for everyone else who tries out. (laughs) So I tried out for the part. I did my thing. I was totally convinced of it, and I'm sitting with the music pastor. I was an intern, and we were going on a call to call on somebody, and we were sitting in the car together, and he goes, hey, 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 that John part and everything, you know, for the musical? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you didn't get it. And I said, whoa, why not? He said, oh, I gave it to so-and-so. He didn't tell me why not. He just said, I gave it to so-and-so. And I said, he can't do that part. You know I'm better than him. I actually said that. And he looked at me and he goes, that's why you didn't get the part. He said, you are so full of yourself. He said, you need to learn some humility. How dare you, he said. How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you put yourself up in the... And as he's talking, I'm just going, oh, oh. And the spirit is just like crushing me in that moment because he was absolutely speaking the truth to me. I thank God for him now. I didn't at the time. Tick me off. But I thank God for him. His name is Don Kruger. What a loving thing for him to do, to speak that hard truth into me. What did he have to gain? He had everything to lose. 
He risked our friendship in order to help me grow. It's in moments like these when someone loves you enough to say the hard things and to speak that truth into you that God uses to adjust the course of your life into the future. If you think real love always feels good or always has to feel good for it to be real love, then you're totally deceived. Because sometimes the person who is loving you the best is making you the most uncomfortable in that moment as they stand there telling you the truth. John says in 1 John 3, 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If your hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Here it is, when genuine believers have sincere, sacrificial love for one another, then we can be certain that we belong to the truth because those who are outside the truth cannot do it. It's proof of our salvation, and it sets our sometimes unsettled hearts about our salvation at rest in God if we are loving people like Jesus did, if we're choosing it and we're doing it because God knows and he sees that you are his because of the work that his son did for you. Well, John wraps it up like this in verse 23. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. What are the identifying marks of a legitimate child of God? We continue in righteousness. We're lovers, not haters, and we're self-sacrificing truth-tellers. This is what a legitimate child of God looks like and lives like. Let's stand together as I pray you out of here today. <clears throat> Father, help us in all of this. This is a lot that we've worked on for the last three weeks on this. I know that I'm deeply convicted in my spirit, in my heart, in my mind because I fail so many times in this thing of loving. The reality is, though, Lord, I fail so many times in being like you. And it's clear in Philippians chapter two that we are, our attitude and actions ought to be the same as that of you, Lord Jesus, who emptied yourself and emptied your rights and gave yourself sacrificially so that I can live. And I am called to be like you, and so I pray that you'll help me choose it this week and you'll help me do it this week. That you'll help me be a truther in love, sacrificing for the needs of my brothers and sisters here, but also for the needs of the world as we give ourselves wholly to you and wholly to them. Help us to grow in this, Lord, I pray, and be able to practice it this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stop by the table out back and give Chris and Melissa a big hug out there and find out more about the Bristol Food Pantry. God bless you as you go.